Welcome, everyone, to another edition of BAMS Radio. We have finally reached game week, as by this time next Sunday, the University of Alabama will be 1-0, as I believe they're going to take care of the Utah State Aggies. No disrespect uh, to Coach Anderson and those guys over there uh, in Utah, but I think Alabama is going to handle them. Uh, Certainly, I think they have a a good football team, and they uh, are going to have a game under their belts as they win 31-20, to 20, not exactly impressively uh, against uh, their opponents, and that was Jim Moore Jr. and the uh, UConn Huskies. They did struggle at times, Blake Anderson and the crew did, uh, but uh, they, uh, they uh, you know, Alabama is going to be a 41-point favorite going into their Season opener inside Bryant-Denny Stadium. It's going to be an evening kickoff on SEC Network. It's going to be 6.30 p.m., so it's going to be a long day for Alabama fans waiting anxiously to see this football team play. Uh, it's going to be an interesting win. Logan Bonner threw for 280 yards uh, you know, uh, yesterday and had a good game for Utah State. And if you kind of go back and look at it, Logan is a guy that followed his head coach, Blake Anderson, from Utah State uh, and uh, has become the, the quarterback over there and threw for over 3,000 yards and 30-plus touchdowns last year. He was 20 of 29, 281, three TDs, no turnovers. And Utah State's got some balance. They had, they ended up running the football well. Calvin Tyler, uh, the uh, senior from Beaumont, Texas, led the way with uh, 33 attempts for 161 yards, didn't score, but averaged nearly, uh, you know, five yards per carry. And then the, uh, the other freshman from uh, Bell, Belleville, Texas, Robert Briggs, a, a shorter guy. He, he would, uh, he, he kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, some uh, backs that I've seen in the SEC in years past because he's a, a diminutive guy, 5'6", 175. Uh, but he's talented, the freshman from Belleville and, uh, you know, he, uh, he he ended up going for 10 rushes for 85 yards and a touchdown. So, certainly, I, I think it's an opponent that is talented, and they're not a pushover. This is not a FCS opponent by any stretch. Uh, but I still think they're going to be overmatched against Alabama. Uh, you know, they were able to uh, win the game, but they were down 14 to nothing to this rebuilding UConn team. And UConn was able to run the football relatively well all night uh, as – their bell cow running back, Nathan Carter, 20 carries for 190 yards. So he averaged only 10 yards per carry. They averaged 6.3 on the night, 39 rushes, 245 yards for UConn. Now, UConn struggled throwing the football, to, uh, you know, turned it over twice and was only 13 and 33 for 119 yards with a freshman quarterback. But, you know, that ain't Bryce Young. So I think uh, Utah State's going to figure out really quickly that. Alabama's offense is probably the most balanced they're going to see all year. Uh, but certainly going to be good to see this team take the field against another opponent in another color jersey. And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight and some other topics, including a little basketball recruiting at the end because Alabama got a big commitment. But we're certainly going to discuss that with our two cohorts here. And they're the two guys that always join us on BAMS Radio and that is Thomas the Wizard Watson Mobile, who's producing, keeping us on the air, and doing a great job with his analytics. Going to be interested to hear his take on this Utah State matchup. And William Redfish Barger from 89 to 93, 
a national champion and a key member of the Crimson Tide. And uh, we always enjoy catching up with both these guys. Well, uh, first, I'll bring you in. William, how are you tonight, man? Doing great, Drew. How about you, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Just uh, It was good to have some college football back as an appetizer yesterday. I know uh, we saw a couple of teams within our own state debut, Alabama State. And, of course, uh, we saw Jacksonville State uh, debut. But now we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty. It's going to be the two big dogs, Alabama and Auburn. And pretty much everybody around the country getting ready to take the field next week. Excited about that. Uh, some big-time matchups for week one uh, or week zero, whatever. They, I guess yesterday was week zero, but this will be the first full week of college football, and certainly there'll be the, the Georgia-Oregon matchup. Looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to, uh, you know, Notre Dame and Ohio State, though, you know, no matter who wins that one, I'm going to want to stick my head in the toilet. Can't stand either one of them. But uh, certainly, uh, and then I, I know that, well, also, uh, Florida State's going to play LSU. So there's going to be some really interesting matchups along in that first week of college football. Uh, no doubt about that. But in Florida, Utah, probably being my favorite. I just want to see what Billy Napier's Gators look like against the Utes in the swamp. But definitely looking forward to Alabama taking on Utah State inside Bryant-Denny Stadium. And and uh, William, I know they played yesterday. I didn't see the entire game. I watched it off and on. Uh, it was kind of ugly at times. I, I you know, wh- what do you take from that first game with Utah State? Uh, you know, before going in, if they at least they get a chance to play before facing the Crimson Tide. But uh, your thoughts on the matchup with the Aggies? Well, I'd say the, you know, the thing that jumps right off the page at you is if they were only able to produce 31 points um, against UConn and they gave up 20 points to UConn, um, warm-up game or not, I'm not sure if they're uh, um, prepared for what they're going to see next Saturday at 630. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, as much as you want to talk about Utah State, and I think certainly, like you said, they're, they're not a pushover. Um, you know, had a good season last year. And, uh, you know, they've got some, some athletes at certain positions. But, you know, I think this this game's going to basically boil down to, you know, Nick Saban probably having the, the healthiest team that he's had in, in quite some time coming out of um, fall camp. Um, you know, you've seen all the, um, the little blurbs, the, the limited amount of time that the media does have access to the players. Um, you know, you can tell that the chemistry is good in the locker room. You got, I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, Nick Saban not only likes the the veterans on this team, there's been, you know, typical Nick Saban, um, you know, innuendos put out about a couple of true freshmen that I think he's, um, you know, excited about. So, you know, I, I think this game's going to really boil down to, um, you know, Alabama's just got, you know, better players across the board at most positions. And, um, you know, I think I think they're going to try and, um, you know, take care of business early and, and get some of these, you know, backups a chance to get some some um, experience under their belt and get some early playing time. I'm sure they're um, – after fall camp, I'm sure they're probably grateful that it's a 6.30 kickoff, you know, versus the, you know, the typical 1.30 to 2.30 um, – you know, scrimmage times that they've had in, in, during the last month. So, you know, it's an exciting time. I think yesterday, the, you know, the biggest takeaway for me off of, uh, 
week zero was you've already got a uh, – not that he probably wasn't already on the hot seat to begin with, but, you know, due to some questionable coaching decisions and, you know, just kind of letting a, a game that they seem to be, at least in certain parts of the first half, kind of starting to take control of. Um, you know, I, I don't think Scott Frost is going to walk into a uh, a very warm and, and uh, happy uh, airport when he lands in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, on his trip back from Ireland from the way that game turned out yesterday for Nebraska and Scott Frost. Yeah, I would, I, you know, I'd say when you're up 10 and you're onside's kicking and you blow it, you let the team back in it, it's uh, not a, a great decision. And Tyler Holinsky, who two years, well, I guess it's hard to believe, it's been about three, uh, started for South Carolina as a true freshman against Alabama and did some good things, but Alabama won the game impressively in Columbia. He's in his second year starting for Pat Fitzgerald, who's one of the more underrated coaches in the country uh, for Northwestern. He throws for 300-plus uh, and multiple touchdowns. And, and the Northwestern Wildcats get the 31-28 to win over in Dublin, Ireland. And, William, I know this is probably a huge problem, but they ran out of beer considering that, uh, that I guess they said that their, their, their computer system wasn't working, so they couldn't run any cards. And so – they were just giving away food and beer. So I can only imagine how that went. I saw some of the lines on Twitter and uh, that people were taking videos. And it looked like a madhouse over there in Dublin. But the uh, Husker Nation showed up and showed out and drank them dry. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the, the people that I was watching the game with yesterday, um, you know, are, aren't certainly the – avid college football fans that the three of us are and um you know they were you know not really well educated on who pat fitzgerald was you know being a a former northwestern player and you know a guy that's you know kind of built that program up from the ashes and you know turned down um you know bigger jobs to stay at his alma mater and they're like you know how are they getting these players to you know, want to go play there. And I'm like, well, you know, basically it's the Vanderbilt of the Midwest in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, the biggest answer in my book would be Google their football complex. And, uh, you know, once they started pulling up the pictures of that palace on the shores of Lake Michigan, they kind of shut up. But, you know, that's a, that's a program. I think that, um, you know, when, when you factor in the education and, um, you know, playing in a big TV market like Chicago and, um, you know, just I think it's a very underweighted program, and I think Pat Fitzgerald is is one of the more, like you said, Drew, um, underappreciated head coaches, uh, you know, in college football. And it's a tough place to win at. You know, obviously the, um, you know, back in the '70s and '80s, you know, Northwestern was sitting in probably one of the hotbeds of, you know, college football recruiting when when you look at all the big time college and pro football players that came out of the Catholic, you know, high school leagues, um, you know, in the, the Illinois, you know, Northern Indiana, Michigan, and, and, and Pennsylvania areas. Um, that's long since dried up, but um, it was really good to, uh, you know, see. And, and, and I think it kind of, you know, really put an exclamation mark on, on the sad and, and uh, continued decline of a once very proud, um, you know, Nebraska program, when you look out there and a guy that, you know, hardly sniffed the field at Alabama and Stephon Wynn, you know, is starting at defensive line for them. I thought that was a pretty, um, you know, 
obvious red flag for that program. And it's, you know, there's a lot of different reasons and, you know, we don't have time and and our limited amount of time to go through all of it. But that's one program that I don't think if, you know, Nick Saban were to leave Alabama after the season and, and go spend his last 10 years coaching, I'm not so sure if he could resurrect that disaster. Yeah, I mean, they really slipped. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it's it was crazy uh, to, to see them blow yet another game. I think in one score game, Scott Frost is 5-21 and 21 during his tenure there. Uh, hard to believe, you know, it's been gone that poorly. But it's not quite as bad as the quote that, uh, Tim Brando, one of my favorite people, uh, LOL, uh, in the media is getting raked over the coals for. Uh, people have found his uh, quote and the tweet from the Feinbaum show from several years ago when, when Scott Frost was hired and Tim Blowhard said that he was going to be the new Nick Saban and win multiple national championships at Nebraska. Uh, and, of course, I had to remind people that this is the same Tim Blowhard uh, that said in 2011 that LSU was going to go down as the greatest team in SEC history. And uh, we all know what happened in the rematch with Alabama in the national championship game. They didn't pass midfield and got beat 21 to nothing. Of course, now he's probably going to tell everybody that the 2019 LSU team was the best in SEC history because they actually did finish. But too bad Alabama dropped an anvil on that head the next year by being even more dominant than that LSU team was. So it's sort of funny, uh, but like I said, Brando's never been one of my favorite people. And, and uh, I just, it's kind of interesting to see him have to, uh, be, uh, you know, pay the piper for some of his uh, stupid, uh, you know, statements over the years. Of course, I think he blocked some of my friends who were glad to help him remember those stupid things he said. Uh, but that's not surprising when you're talking about Tim Blowhard. But just wanted to kind of uh, mention that. And you did mention Stephon Wynn. Uh, uh, William, he did play quite a bit. I think he had two tackles in the game. And there's another transfer, uh, you know, from Alabama. Kane Williams, the safety that's at Nebraska. I didn't remember seeing him. He's not listed in the stats. And so I don't think he played. But Stephon Wynn. It was really basically a third stringer at Alabama. Didn't play a lot. Got his degree, though, I believe. And yeah, you're, you're right. He started for the Huskers. That's probably a detriment because, as you said, William, uh, Nebraska's talent level has definitely slipped uh, through the years. But I wanted to bring Thomas in because he had some things he wanted to say about this Husker program. That never, By the way, I'll, 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 I'll finish my diatribe. Should have never left the Big 12. And never fired Frank Solich. They made two huge blunders over the years that has really, really set that program back. Okay, so so I, I'm I'm going to push back a little bit. I I uh, don't particularly think that Nebraska is unsalvageable. I do think there are some unique circumstances surrounding you know population movements in the United States that cause headaches. But honestly, Scott Frost is a bad coach. Like, he had an undefeated season at UCF taking advantage of the spread. Well, most of the spread is, you know, unless you have super elite talent, is struggling as defenses have continued to adapt. Now, here's the real problem. Everyone loves to say that Scott Frost is just the most unluckiest coach that was ever unluckiest. 
That's crap. Scott Frost lost most of those one-score games because he has a minus 22 turnover mar- margin, margin Excuse me, in those games. I, I mean, come on, guys. It's pretty easy. Play disciplined football, win game. It's not complicated. He's unable to get his teams to play disciplined football, and not surprisingly, he's going to struggle in close games because of it because he can't out-talent everybody in the Big Ten. So I think Nebraska is a, has a chance to be solid, but Scott Frost's teams play with zero discipline. He makes insane decisions that there ain't, a, there ain't been math that's been invented yet to justify some of his nonsense, and his team pays the price for it. So if Nebraska gets a coach that's not an idiot, I think they'll be functional. But unfortunately, Scott Frost is an idiot who can't get his team to play disciplined football. That's just me. Yeah, you know, guys, Jake Crane, good friend in the media, you know, he, he, uh, he's the son of Kurt Crane, former great Auburn linebacker under Pat Dye. He, he thinks Hugh Freeze might be the answer for Nebraska's woes. But, of course, he might be Auburn's as well because, as we know, uh, Alan Green, the athletic director, has been dismissed. Uh, he did some things budgetary-wise where he, he was uh, making, you know, some teams, uh, you know, travel via bus, you know, stay in, you know, cheaper hotels, not, you know, doing the uh, A-list stuff you would think an athletic director in the SEC does. And, you know, he hired Brian Harson, kind of pulled a power play there, didn't hire Kevin Steele. And so when Harson struggled, this opened the door for that. He resigns, and so it's going to make it even tougher on Harson to survive. Uh, and so, if, when Auburn hires their new AD, probably in the next month, you know, could you freeze end up there? That's going to be really fascinating uh, with Auburn because I, I still think they're kind of under the radar. Could be a good football team. They just, but I, I'm not sold on PJ Finley, who Auburn named quarterback earlier this afternoon. I think he's kind of a. a, a, a I, I, a mystery because he's just not being consistent, but it's going to be interesting. But I, Thomas, I don't disagree with you. I still think the passion is there in the Nebraska fan base. I mean, they were, they, they, as I just told you guys, they, they, they drank the freaking stadium dry in uh, Dublin, Ireland. They support their team. They love their squad. It's just about finding, uh, you know, the perfect fit, I guess, for it. No doubt about it. And so it's going to be really interesting uh, to see what Nebraska does going forward because that's a program that's just kind of been, you know, in, in the abyss for a while. I still say what I said earlier, they never should have left the Big 12. They've got Trev Alberts now as their athletic director who understands that football program. I'm going to be – he didn't hire Scott Frost. So I'm going to be interesting, uh, interested to see, pardon me, if they when they let him go, whether they have to pay him $7 million, which is what they would owe him if they – uh, you know, fire him in the middle of the season or $10 million at the end, you know, who Nebraska goes after. Because I think I, I agree. I don't think Scott's going to make it. It's kind of surprised me how much he struggled. But it just – I don't think he's a big-time head coach. I think he's a at best group of five, which is what you were referencing, Thomas, when you said what he did at UCF. I just don't think he can do it on this level. And it's going to be interesting to see who Nebraska ultimately goes after uh, you know, because, again, I think Frank Solich never should have been let go. He did a really good job on a smaller level at Ohio uh, University and really uh, was doing a good job at Nebraska, but they 
uh, some people that, you know, they shouldn't have made a, a bad decision. They kind of thought, okay, we need somebody to get to, to take us to the next level. We probably need to get away from the option. They got away from what made that program great because William, as you know, you probably were recruited by Nebraska. Nebraska played football a certain way, and that state doesn't produce a lot of talented, uh, you know, football players every year. So they had to recruit a certain way. They didn't ever get a lot of top ten classes. They just did a great job identifying guys that fit the Nebraska style of football. And I think once they got away from the Big 12, a lot of those traditional rivalries, and once they decided to change the complete style of their program, it's never worked. Well, the you know the, the there's there's two things that have you know buried them, um, and, and this may not be verbatim, but it's but it's pretty close to being correct. Um, for the longest time, they were allowed to take one player from each county in the state of Nebraska as a walk-on. Yeah. And, Typically, those players were offensive line type guys or defensive line type guys, and they would bury them in the basement of the weight room with a bunch of heavyweight and good groceries and good pharmaceuticals. And, you know, they would emerge three years later, um, you know, as, as just football machines. And, you know, that, that went by the wayside maybe late in the Tom Osborne era, early in the Frank Solich tenure. And also, too, on a on a on a smaller scale, I still think Notre Dame um, is able to pull this off a little bit. But because of their, um, you know, history and and being you know a blue blood program, um, I, I would say probably up until the late '90s, early 2000s, you know, they were still able to go and you know come down to the southeast and get some skill players. Um, you know, play quarterback and, and wide receiver and running back. And, um, but, but, you know, as that waned, you know, it became a harder and harder sell, um, you know, when kids from the Southeast were, you know, going to, to Lincoln, you know, in January and February on official visits, um, you know, and dealing with the weather and, you know, it's not the prettiest place. And, and you know, to, to a, a lesser degree, that's one of the things aside from the, you know, not not relaxing their entrance requirements a little bit. That's that's been another reason why you see Notre Notre Dame fall by the wayside um, to a lesser extent. Even though you know they've um, you know popped up here and there in the football playoff, and you know back to the 2012 national championship appearance that obviously they didn't deserve to be there in the first place. But you know, you, you could go out and hire one of the best coaches in the country. And, you know, maybe he could sustain it and build them up to where they're, a, you know, an eight, nine win program. But I just don't see them getting back to, um, you know, their glory days anytime soon just because of the lack of, of being able to attract Jimmys and Joes. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because – and they haven't won for a long time at a high level. And I guess the most success in the Big Ten they had was Bo Pelini. Uh, and that was the eight, nine win level. Uh, and then uh, he was uh, fired because he didn't get along with the administration, too. So that's going to be one of those fascinating things, no question about it. And while Pat Fitzgerald is the perfect fit for Northwestern, uh, they just have not been able to find it uh, at Nebraska, which is, you know, one of the plum jobs in the country at one time. And Dr. Tom Osborne did, uh, you know, an amazing job. And then you talked about going to the South to get great players. They got one of their greatest of all time in Tommy Frazier uh, from the state of Florida. 
uh, to, to be the quarterback and run that offense. So no question about it. Of course, he wasn't a pro, but he was one of the great option quarterbacks uh, I think that we've ever seen. No question about that. Uh, but, uh, but, but Thomas, I wanted to bring you back into the conversation. I know you're, you're our numbers guy and you've broken some things down. I know you were studying Utah State. You were watching that game yesterday. And I know we began the show tonight and I was saying that I don't think Utah State wants any of this smoke. And I, I know they, they put up some impressive numbers against UConn, but there are some alarming things they didn't do well. They'll probably play right into Alabama's hands. And as you've already told us before we started the show, it's a 41-point spread, and you think that's pretty accurate. Well, so let's set the stage with Utah State. When I really started looking at Utah State, I was thinking, you know, this team won the Mountain West last year. They're going to be eleven and three. Yeah, yeah that's right. Eleven and three. You're not. They're not going to set the world on fire. But if you're going to play a group of five team, there are only a handful that are going to be better to grab a hold of to start a season. So, you know, that's my start. I'm like, okay, well, you know, this should be a good game. You know, maybe three quarters. I think Alabama's the better team. I thought I never thought that was in question, but. You know, Alabama would pull away, you know, win, you know, maybe 42-17, something like that. And then the Utah State-UConn game happened. And let me, let me move the stage to the second act. Uh, I think Jim Mora Jr. is a wonderful coach to rebuild a program. And I think UConn will at least have a pulse in the next year or two. But we're talking about a UConn team that was – probably the worst team in FBS last year. I mean, like, truly awful how bad they were. And you can't remake a football program, even with the transfer portal, in nine months. It's just not feasible. So I'm thinking, okay, Utah State, take care of UConn, no big deal. Well, if you watch that game, UConn was up 14-0 on Utah State coming out of the first quarter. And maybe the most damning statistic from all of that is that it was the first time that UConn had led a team by double digits after the first quarter since Barack Obama was the president of these United States. So, okay, that's kind of alarming. So so, so let's just – that's the stage set. Now, let's look at the game statistics. Utah State did end up winning 31-20, as has been said. They had 542 yards. They ran an ocean of plays. So Utah State does run a variable tempo spread. They want to get some early success. They want to speed it up. And they want to build success upon success upon success. And that's fine. The problems come on defense. UConn had 245 yards rushing on 39 plays for an average of 6.3 yards per rush. Now, generally when you're truly awful at the FBS level, your biggest issue is along the lines of scrimmage. And 6.3 yards per rush, I mean, Alabama never has to throw the ball if they're getting that on a consistent basis. I mean, for, for those that, that don't do math very often, 6.3 times 2 is greater than 10. So... You know, there we, there we have it. 
so we have this situation where their rush defense is bad. And you can certainly argue that, oh my gosh, you know, there was this situation. It's week zero. They had the jitters. They're focused on Alabama. Trash. That's trash reasoning. Don't even, don't bring me that smoke anywhere. It does not take time to play disciplined football. It, it doesn't. It doesn't take time to do gaps well. You can do that, particularly when you physically overmatch a team. Utah State wasn't able to do that against UConn. I have absolutely no idea how they're going to do it against Alabama. And I, when I first saw the line, the line opened up at 40, and it's been bet up to 41. I was very surprised. Like, I, I thought it would be lower than that. And then I started thinking about it, and I absolutely see this game as being like a 59-10 sort of contest because Nick Saban's going to take his foot off the gas and not want to score a ton of points. But Utah State's defense has struggled to stop the run so badly that it's going to break all the scoring models. It just when you when you give up that many yards per rush, all those Vegas models, they just break. It that that's really the problem you had if you remember the 2020 LSU defense, which is one of the worst ever, the line almost couldn't get high enough because you're so far away from statistical norms that you don't know what to do with it. This Utah State team, they're, you know, they're going to be able to move the ball on Alabama a little bit. They're going to get some tempo. They're going to have things happen. But that defense, and you know, before you know, readers would say, well, you know, maybe – that UConn very cleverly didn't throw the ball very well. Well, realize that they were able to run the ball for 245 with a true freshman quarterback for three and a half quarters in that game because their starter got hurt. And the true freshman was 12 of 31 for 100 yards and two interceptions. So this team, like, I don't know what happened at Utah State, but the absolute worst thing they could have done happened this past Saturday. And the worst follow-up possible is coming next Saturday. Everything Utah State struggled with against UConn is stuff that Alabama does well, or at least we think Alabama can do well because we expect some improvement on the offensive line thanks to Eric Wolford. But even if not, even if it's the same disaster, now, admittedly, William and I will all both have a coronary next Sunday, but beyond that, it's gonna, the, the, the step up in talent is so extreme that it's hard for me to believe that this is anything but an absolute destruction coming for Utah State next weekend, Drew. Yeah, I mean, I still, I think I picked 52 to 3, uh, you know, because, you know, I, I saw they fell behind 14 to nothing. I saw the rushing yards they gave up. I think they're a pretty good football team, but I think Alabama's on another level. Uh, you know, a lot, I mean, it's going to be totally different than what they saw, you know, against uh, UConn. But I will say, uh, now, the, uh, these two teams we're talking about, Nebraska and Northwestern, and then Utah State and UConn, they all look like, you know, the Green Bay Packers compared to what I saw with the Hawaii Rainbows. Uh, who Vanderbilt and, I, and and look guys, I've been watching football in the SEC since the late '80s. I don't know that I can ever remember Vanderbilt scoring 63 points in a game and beating somebody 63 to 10, especially a Vanderbilt team. That I'll be blunt, I'm not sure they're going to win an SEC game. I think they're improved. 
But my Lord, guys, I mean, Mike Wright, the quarterback, ran the ball well, threw it decent, but 63-10. to 10. Timmy Chang, the former great under June Jones, he's got a ton of work to do with that program there in Hawaii. They look like a train wreck. But again, I do think that Alabama is going to win this game very impressively. I'm anxious to see Logan Bonner throw it against Alabama's secondary because I want Alabama's corners to be tested. I want to see how Kool-Aid McKinstry holds up. I want to see, uh, you know, if Terry and Arnold's in the starting lineup, Kyrie Jackson, how much are we going to see of Eli, Eli Ricks? I mean, I want those guys to be tested because <laughs> to me, it's the only area of the defense that I have questions about going to the season. But I also want to see Alabama's pass rush. I want to see them get after Bonner and disrupt him uh, on all three levels, but especially the D-line and the linebackers, the pass rushers. See that third down package with Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell. And I want to see if Alabama can force some turnovers and just dominate the line of scrimmage because that's what they need to do. And then Alabama's O-line, they need to dominate the line of scrimmage and my Lord, if they can't stop, you know, UConn's running game, uh, I would think Alabama would have a chance to play four or five running backs, uh, including, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, the, uh, the, maybe even E.J. Henderson, who's been playing wide receiver, but certainly Jamarian Miller will get some playing time. But I just want to see this Alabama football team go out and execute against somebody else. And I, I want to see how this O-line looks, this running game. And these wide receivers with Bryce, because I know what Bryce is. I know how good he is. I just want to see if he's going to be able to elevate, uh, you know, those skill guys around him. And, and William, before I bring you back in, too, one guy I was kind of looking for for Utah State, and I didn't see him out on the field. I hope he's healthy again. Uh, but Xavier Williams, who transferred from Alabama, wide receiver, played just a little bit, had a couple catches. I think his last couple catches were in the 2020 National Championship win over the Ohio State suck eyes, he transferred to Utah State. And, uh, and I'm not, but I, I didn't see him on the field, so I didn't see his name mentioned in the box score either. But just some interesting storylines, William, and I'm anxious to see Alabama play against someone else. Sorry for the outburst of laughter there, Drew. I haven't heard the old suck eye uh, nickname in a couple of years. Right. Um, you know, to me, I, I would have thought, when we got together last Sunday, that this was a moot point. But, you know, after seeing some uh, uh, some practice footage, um, you know, this past week, I'm starting to wonder um, if it isn't going to be a coin flip uh, Saturday evening to see who starts at left guard between Kendall Randolph and um, Cohen. Um, there was a lot more of Cohen working with the first-team offensive line last week um, that I was expecting to see based on how the the first three weeks and the two scrimmages, um, you know, a fall cap, uh, camp had gone down. But, um, you know, I saw enough of them last week and in, in some, you know, situational stuff to where I think it's going to be interesting there. Yeah, I mean, I still think because he put him in front of the media the other day that it's going to be Kendall, but I wouldn't be surprised if both guys get some playing time. I mean, hey, we you understand uh, that, you know, that, that Javian started all of last year and they're trying to get him back uh, and get him ready to roll. And, and when Saban says they have eight O-linemen he's confident in, and we talked about that some last week, uh, Javian's certainly one of those, Seth McLaughlin. Uh, and I think hopefully all these guys will get playing time. Tyler Booker. 
uh, even Antonio Kite uh, and Damian George. Hopefully the second team line will get some time. But, yeah, I mean, no, nobody's going to be surprised to see JV and get some playing time. And uh, I selfishly, because he's grinded so much, I'd like to see Kendall get a shot with the first group and start the game. Uh, you know, I thought the O-line looked really good in the scrimmage, uh, you know, or her, you know, uh, last week. Uh, I've been hearing good things and really both scrimmages coming out about the first team O-line, which really didn't change a whole lot. So I was th- I'm was, i thinking that that'll probably still be the first five, but that's going to be another area where people are going to be following it. And we everybody wants to see Jalen Moody at will. You know, is he going to be ready to go uh, in his first year starting in the program next to a Henry Toa Toa? So anxious to see that. I mean, no question about it. And certainly – uh, you know, with this, uh, the, the Jaheim Otis, the young defensive lineman, how quickly is he into a real game? Uh, what kind of impact does he make? Does it, you know, does he, does this run defense look even better with him in the middle? Because DJ Dale has struggled at times. And I, I'm anticipating this defense being dominant from the jump. Uh, certainly, I know this is a 11 win team that won a bowl game from Utah State and even has already played a game. But I still think. This Alabama team should dominate this opponent. Uh, certainly, they need to get their feet wet, and I'm glad they're playing the game in a way before they go to Texas at 11 o'clock a.m. Of course, the Longhorns are going to play an opener as well, so both of them are going to have a game under their belt. But certainly, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing uh, Alabama take the field against Utah State, and I think Alabama's better than this football team in every aspect. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see you know, how they perform, but I'm anticipating Bryce being sharp. He certainly was in the last scrimmage. I think the running game can do some damage. Anxious to see how, you know, Bill O'Brien uses the new weapons that he has, like a Jameer Gibbs and these wide receivers, you know, how is Burton looking? Is he the true number one guy? You know, uh, Brooks bounced back from his poor first scrimmage performance to play well uh, in his second opportunity. And then, you know, uh, is Tyler Harrell going to be on the field? And if so, how much? So it's just really going to be interesting to see, you know, who, who some of these, uh, well, you know, skill guys are that step up offensively. And, of course, uh, if the old hats on defense, the Henry Toa Toas and the Will Andersons, even Dallas Turner, he didn't get a full year starting under his belt. How do they look? Is this going to be a dominant-looking football team? offensively, defensively, and in the kicking game. And I think it sets up to look that way. I agree with you, Thomas. I think uh, they're much better than Utah State, despite what Utah State did last year and even, uh, you know, with what we saw on Saturday. And certainly Utah State's going to come in with a chip on their shoulder with something to prove. But I just think this is an Alabama team that I think has great internal leadership so far, and hopefully, God willing, they won't have any injuries in practice this week. Uh, I and it's, I'm also anxious to see if Cam Latou is back because I think Latou is needed on this team. He's certainly not a great tight end, but I think he's a good tight end and he can help this football team. Kitzelman would probably be in his place due to his blocking ability if he can't go in the in game one. And then you might see, you know, uh, you know, a Danny Lewis get some time and of course a Robbie Oots. Uh, but we'll see. I just I just want to see this team play someone else. And Thomas, when uh, I'll bring you back in, uh, I, I think this is a game that where we're going to get the chance to see uh, most of the second team offense and defense play the majority of the second half. And I'm also anxious to see some of those young guys and see how they look. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, William, do you have any eligibility left? You could probably uh, get some playing time against this team. But uh, Well, I, it, it, I, real quick, Thomas, since you gave me a good little segue there, and, and I, you know, Drew certainly didn't mention him last Sunday, and I had this, you know, posed to me by a couple of different people midweek that were at the scrimmage. Drew, was Tommy Brockermeyer not dressed out for last Saturday's scrimmage? Did you see him at all? Here's where, here's what was going on, and and I'll just admit this on this on, on Bam's radio. Okay, I'm in the Red Elephant Club. Just deal with it, Alabama. I keep my mouth shut. I was there at the scrimmage. Okay, I looked for Tommy Brockermeyer. He's supposed to be number seventy six. I thought he would be with the threes. He was in the spring, and I did not see him. But I will tell you this because I was looking all around for it. And I was, I could not find it. And it really kind of threw me for a loop because I was like, wait a minute, guys. I was like, why is it, why isn't it here? But when I was looking, I had my roster sheet and number 67 was a walk-on freshman from Mountain Brook at left tackle. And then the left guard was another listed walk-on. Both of them looked to be much bigger than the guys that were listed on the roster I almost think – now, I didn't confirm this, William, but I almost think that Tommy Brockermeyer was the third-team left tackle, but he was in a different jersey because I the 67 looked a whole lot bigger than six foot two sixty. okay? And so I was sitting there. He kind of made me scratch my head because – and, again, I think we've all agreed that Alabama has missed on some offensive tackles in the last couple of recruiting classes. And But, see, we also know Elijah Pritchett has a torn pec. He isn't practicing right now. He's going to be out for a while. But it's hard for me to believe they don't have three healthy, you know, uh, you know, scholarship offensive tackles. So I'm just going to go and tell you what I was thinking. I still think that the the, the guy that I saw on the, in the scrimmage on Sunday was Brockermeyer, but just in a 67 jersey. Because I'm just telling you, it didn't look like a, a, an undersized kid from Mountain Brook out there. I can't believe – Jackson Roby was the third center. Now, he is Wes Neighbor's nephew, uh, you know, Claire Roby's son. He's been the third center for a while. He was out there with that group. And and I can tell you, too, uh, you know, uh, Jaden Roberts was the right tackle. And he's a scholarship guy. But it's hard for me to believe that the left side would be two walk-ons. And it just didn't look like those two dudes to me. It's when, I, when I was eyeing them up and then looking at what my roster sheet was supposed to be. I got you. I was just curious because you didn't mention him, you know, last last week. And then when it was, you know, um, the, the way it was approached to me was, you know, that he's hurt again, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, you know, I, I know who the second team left tackle is. It's the same guy it's been for the last two years. Um, but the, a couple of people said that they didn't see him. But what you just said was a, was a plausible explanation. Yeah, because I just it surprised me because I was like, no, wait a minute, because I'm, I'm I I do take a, a cursory look to try to see okay who they got at third team, and I was expecting to see Brocker Meyer because as we said, his brother James was second team center due to the fact uh, that uh, that Seth McLaughlin was injured. But I mean, I was just like, you got to be kidding me! I, I was like, it, sur- surely it's not two walkers because you got guys like Tanner Bowles. I mean, I, you know. And, of course, they may have been holding some of them out. Just uh, Maybe they were a little banged up. But it just – it surprised me. And I, I just I, – I do wonder 
if it was Tommy Brockermeyer still at left tackle. I, I never tried to confirm that, uh, but again, we'll see. But uh, certainly he's got a ways to go. I'm anxious to see, you know, what this full year will do for him. He did struggle when I saw him in the spring. He was healthy enough to be out there. And I haven't heard that he's been banged up and not on the field. So uh, certainly we'll see. But uh, I don't know. Now, I have heard something coming from uh, a source close to, you know, Blake Brockermeyer. That his wife was on campus recently. And as Blake put it to a friend of mine, not for a reason you want to be there. And I, I didn't take that that they were transferring. But maybe one of the Brockermeyers was still having an issue. I don't know. Uh, but uh, like I said, I, I – I, I will say I didn't see a 76 out there, so we'll see where that goes from here. But certainly uh, he and his brother have a long way to go to you know, impact the depth chart right now. I don't think either one of them are in the plan staff to play because hopefully Alabama's going to have some you know, injury luck. But I think they, they're, pretty, they're pretty firm on who their top 10 O-linemen are. And I think we, it's easy enough to say that neither Brock or Myers among those top 10. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's one of the most talked about subjects of, of you know, guys that aren't, you know, in, in the 2D consideration right now. And I, I think it's been a, uh, you know, almost to the level of a Bigfoot urban legend. Um, or Ben Davis. You know, <laughs> well, I don't want to go there because it is still right. um, the, the, the one that you hear that would be a little bit more applicable would be Tyler Love. Right, another um, right. The the here's the mystery to me. Um, you hear all these stories about the injuries and being hurt, and and you just brought up what I consider a player that's hurt. You know, Elijah Pritchett, um, you know, has a torn pec, and that's not something that you recover from um, overnight. You know, it's months, and and he's not available for practice right now. And over the last two years, I mean, Tommy Brockemeyer has been healthy enough to participate in two spring practices, two A-Day games, you know, two fall camps, all the scrimmages associated with both. And typically, if somebody's hurt, the coaches don't put them out there to, you know, get even more hurt or not be able to compete at the level they can compete at. So, you know, it's just the longer this thing goes on and, you know, you don't see him in that 2D roster. The the whispers are going to become louder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, we'll see. But certainly uh, looking forward to this game uh, at 630. I've got my credential. I will be inside Bryant-Denny Stadium in the press box watching the Crimson Tide and uh, take on the Utah State Aggies and Blake Anderson. Uh, I'm going to predict 52-3. to I think Alabama is going to handle business and cover uh, – William, I'll go back to you really quick. What is your prediction? And then we'll have Thomas come in and give his thought. Uh, you know, I was going to err on the side of being conservative until, until Thomas uh, cut loose on, on what he saw yesterday. Um, I'm, I'm going to say 52 to 10. Mm-hmm. And Thomas, what about you? 59-10. Wouldn't be surprised if we get into the 63-17 range. Okay, so you really – and you know, and, and again, Utah State may they've got some talented guys on offense. They may be able to score on Alabama's second team defense. I'm I'm anxious to see how dominant that first group is. And of course, don't want to get anybody hurt. 
uh, before we go, uh, you know, burn Austin to the ground, uh, you know, uh, in the second week of the season on September the 10th. But going to be interesting to see what happens there. No doubt about it. And, uh, you know, really anxious. And uh, there was a recruiting note just dropped to us uh, from our our uh, Roll Tide Facebook group. Uh, and I think it's interesting that uh, we've all William, we've talked about it in the recruiting class. They they're getting down to the nitty gritty as far as spots left. I think they have eight or nine. They've got 21 committed. Uh, and we know that, you know, they just got Edric Hill committed, the defensive lineman from North Kansas City High School. Who had two sacks, by the way, in, in his first game last this past Friday, but they uh, Jalen Hale, uh, the uh, the wide receiver from Texas, who's an extremely talented student athlete. Uh, I think if Alabama had their druthers, he would probably be uh, the last one. He is uh, in the class. He is going to take back to back visits. Uh, he's going to take officials to Alabama, Utah State, uh, and then he's going to be at the Bama Texas game for his official visit with Texas against Alabama before committing on September 21st. Personally, I hope Alabama dismantles Texas like four, by 35 to 40 points. So uh, it really makes an impression on Hale to come to Alabama. Now, some might say it might uh, scare him into going to Texas, but I don't know why he would want to because I think, honestly, Sark would be on the hot ultimate hot seat. But again... This kid's talented. I've watched some of his film. They've got really – Malik Benson had a great debut in, in a 90-yard touchdown for Hutchinson Community College. He's committed to Alabama. Unfortunately, Cole Adams had seven catches for 143 and then hurt his shoulder and will miss the rest of the regular season uh, for his squad at, uh, you know, in, in Owasso, Oklahoma. We hate to hear that. But, again, uh, this I think it's a positive sign that Hale's going to see Alabama – for the first two weeks. Yeah. And, and, and possibly get a chance to, uh, you know, see a couple of true freshmen. I mean, for sure, he's going to get to see, um, you know, Kobe Prentice, um, you know, who's, who's really made a splash in the last couple you know weeks of fall camp. And, you know, I, I thought it was a pretty significant, you know, attaboy drew. You don't hear the greatest of all times, you know, do this. And, and I do think probably, depending on how the running back recruiting goes the next couple of years, um, you know, there is a chance that you see this young man back in the running back room at some point. But, um, you know, Nick Saban was very complimentary over uh, the true freshman, Emmanuel Henderson, um, yes. after the last scrimmage and, uh, you know, the work that he's been putting in at, at slot wide receiver. So um, that may be another one that, that uh, young Mr. Hale gets to see in the next two weeks. I think he and Nye Black, I'm talking about Henderson and Nye Black, both have, uh, Amari Nye Black have bright futures. They both made plays with the threes, but they just got a ways to go to learn the offense and get a chance. They got guys in front of them that are good players that are a little further along from the neck up. But once they get the offense down, I think they can definitely, you know, be contributors. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but also I wanted real quickly to, uh, give a shout out, give prayers up to Brian Robinson, B. Rob, former Alabama running back, one of my favorite guys of the Saban era because of his patience and waiting to be the guy. Uh, you know, he was a third round draft pick of the Washington Commanders after having a really good senior year for Alabama a year ago with 1,300 yards, uh, you know, rushing and helping Alabama reach the national championship game and win the SEC title. He was shot multiple times 
uh, today, unfortunately, in the cesspool known as Washington, D.C. Uh, from what I'm hearing, he was carjacked. Luckily, it's considering not it's considered non-threatening injury. So hopefully he'll bounce back quickly. He busted his tail. He was going to be the starting running back for the Washington Commanders. Uh, I still think he's an underrated player in the Saban era just because so many studs in front of him, including Najee Harris. He's a homegrown guy from Hillcrest, Tuscaloosa, though, who wanted to play for the Tide and who could have transferred, did not. He played fullback early in his career and grinded to get some time on the field. So thoughts and prayers out to B-Rob. Uh, you know, hopefully he's going to be okay and be okay soon. Uh, but certainly enjoyed watching him uh, compete for the University of Alabama. And, you know, hopefully he's going to get well and be a starter and be have a good rookie year for the Washington Commanders. We just thank the Lord right now uh, that it looks like he's going to be okay after this unfortunate incident uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, but uh, that was just a kind of a breaking story as we were getting ready to come on to BAMS tonight. And then also wanted to give a quick recruiting update in basketball from my community. R.J. Johnson, Grissom High School. My good friend Jack Doss is his head coach. That young man has, uh, you know, got a recent offer back in uh, mid-August to Alabama. He committed to the Crimson Tide this past Friday. Uh, the second uh, commitment in University of Alabama's 2023 class, along with Sam Walters, the stretch four power forward. I still think Alabama's probably going to try to take a couple more guys, hopefully in uh, before this the November signing period. They've got several guys slated to visit throughout the fall. Uh, and I'm sure for the football games are going to be a big part of it, but R.J. Johnson going to be a four-year starter at Grissom. Uh, he's a strong point guard, 6'2 to 6'3, 190 pounds, averaged 16 points, six boards, and nearly three assists for Coach Dawson. He had a really good summer. Uh, his, his issue has always kind of been his three-point shot, but he shot it better on the EYBL circuit for the Georgia Elite Stars. If he does shoot it better uh, for during his senior year, I think he's going to have a, a shot at Mr. Basketball in Alabama. He's the top-rated senior in the state now that Cade Phillips, uh, John David Phillips, and uh, Reagan Crowell Phillips' son has moved on to Link Academy. Caden is committed to Tennessee. Alabama, quite frankly, passed on him, wasn't convinced that he had the skill set they were looking for, but they liked R.J. Johnson. I know Antoine Petway went to bat for him, uh, and now he's a part of the class. So hopefully he's going to continue to improve and have a big senior year, but just not beat Huntsville High. Everybody knows, of course, I'm part of. But again, happy for RJ and his family. Uh, we'll see how he does at Alabama. But good player who NATOs and staff think they can develop. And certainly they've done a great job developing guards, no question about that. But again, we all think Alabama's going to win impressively over the Utah State Aggies. We've all we're all thinking 50 plus for the Alabama O and the Alabama defense to, to uh, have a dominant performance. And we'll recap it next Sunday on BAMS Radio. We'll certainly recap any recruiting information that comes out uh, that we will see. Because, again, Alabama, I mean, there's going to be some news come out in September. But, of course, we know it can change every day. And that's why I'm doing a five days a week recruiting show called The Recruiting Insiders. Because, again, the stuff changes every day. But, again, we're going to continue to monitor it. And we're going to continue to talk recruiting and Alabama football. But we'll come to you next Sunday on BAMS Radio, and we'll recap, hopefully, a resounding Alabama victory in, uh, in, the, in their opening week opponent in this 2022 season, the 16th for Nick Saban next Sunday. But we appreciate everybody for listening. Good night. Thank you to William Barger and Thomas the Wizard Watts, and we'll talk to you next Sunday. Roll Tide.